Well, guys, this morning we are really thrilled to have um, special guest speakers with us. Our friends Simon and Keely Bateson from Birmingham are here today. And um, I just wanted to kind of give them a little bit of an introduction. Some of you will have seen and heard them before. They were here about, was it two and a half years ago we worked out? And um, Simon spoke on Sunday. And... Um, as I was thinking about them coming today, I was re reminded by about a mutual friend we have. Um, they are currently in Birmingham working with a team there. And Andrew, the pastor, used to be our senior pastor. And he said um, one time, I really get fed up of going to people's funerals and hearing everybody say wonderful things about them that they've never actually said to their faces. And so he decided that he was actually going to say the things that he meant to say to people before it was too late. And I thought that's a really good and a wise thing to do. And so this morning, as I introduced Simon and Keeley, I just wanted to say a little bit about them. Um, we've known these guys for about 20 years now. Um, they were in the church kind of as we joined up in Birmingham before we came here. And through that time, for us, they have been incredible um, role models of ministry and work and family life and marriage. And particularly in our early married life, we had lots of kind of wobbles and misunderstandings and we spent hours in their front room talking through different things and how to communicate better. And so we learned an awful lot from them. And if you spend any time with them, I don't know if you have friends like this, I really hope and pray you do. But they're kind of people who, when you're with them, you just think, I really want to be more like Jesus. Because they're people who are passionately pursuing him. They are looking to see what he wants them to do in all different contexts. And um, they're actually, I think, like a really good picture frame. And as you look through the picture frame, you see Jesus better. And so I am really delighted to welcome them, to commend them to you today. And the thing is, when Simon speaks, you know, often I just sit there and I go, oh, God's talking just to me. This is just for me. And so my prayer for you today is that as we hear him speak, we'll all have that experience. We'll have a God encounter and we'll go, God, you're talking just to me. Yesterday, um, they were here doing some training with the vineyard area. So six churches who um, came and brought their leadership teams here. And again, with our leaders last night. And one funny thing yesterday morning was we kind of did the introductions. We had a bit of a kind of chatty, funny bit at the beginning. And then um, Simon said, right, well, many of us are tired and busy. And you know, that's not biblical. We're not supposed to be busy. We're supposed to be fruitful. And there was this... Uh in the room and everyone got their notepads out and started writing and so today let's listen up and see what God wants to say to us specifically and really personally through these wonderful guys so come on guys and bless you oh too kind don't know what to say really thank you it's not all true she's made a lot of it up <laughs> Um, yeah, we've had a great weekend so far, and I'm sure it's just going to get better. It's a joy and a privilege to be with you all. Um, as Joe said, we've known these guys for forever, it feels like. We've journeyed with them through lots of ups and downs and our family lives, and it is a real, as I said, joy to be here with you today. A little bit about us. I'm sure some of you know us, but if you don't, um, we, we're married, obviously. We've just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Um, we've got five children, three grown-up boys, and a lovely daughter-in-law, and then Tina, who's with us today who's was sitting by me and has gone up to youth we were part of the very early plant which was South Birmingham Vineyard and then became uh, Vineyard Network Church and is now Birmingham Vineyard but we've been part of that for since 1988 and um, just been part of seeing it grow and doing different things and then in 95 God called us out to plant a church in Hal's Own which we did um, reluctantly, but then God really spoke to us. And so we knew that was something we needed to do. And then in the year 2000, something bizarre happened to us. And Andrew and Rosie 
um, the senior pastors, really felt God speak to them very clearly about us coming back to the church and bringing our church with them. And it was a really baffling time and really hard, but we did actually know it was God and the leaders of the movement it resonated with them. And so we did close our church. Um, it was very painful, but people came with us and we've been serving at Birmingham Vineyard since the year 2000, which is amazing. Um, uh, about nine months ago, God started to stir us. We're on a slightly different tangent at the moment. Uh, very out of the blue and completely left field, God started to speak to us about a new assignment for us and something that we weren't expecting. We probably thought we'd just carry on being in Birmingham forever. That's where we're both from, the Midlands, and it didn't anticipate, we didn't anticipate ever moving from there. I certainly didn't. I don't know whether Simon did. He probably did because he's more adventurous than me. But I certainly didn't have that on my radar. And so when God started to stir us about your time here is done and there's something new for you, we were really confused and didn't know whether it was God. So we spent a good six or seven months praying and just waiting on the Lord and people would give us words and we'd just nod and say thank you and we'd write everything down. And it got to the point where God did really hem us in and tell us we needed to speak to Andrew and Rosie about it and it was God and we needed to have the faith to speak it out. So that's what we did in January. And um, two weeks ago we went public and so our church knows that we feel that our time in Birmingham is coming to an end and there is something new for us, but we don't know what that is. So that's the bit, the bit we're in at the moment. We don't know what the, the thing is. So do pray for us. It's um, a difficult time. It's a trying time, but God is faithful and we have to hold on to that, that he has got something for us and we have to walk this path now to wait to see what that is, to see what he births new for us um, as a family. And I just want to encourage you all, you know, God is speaking to all of you all the time. We're all in this God story together and there's exciting and good works planned for all of us. And so have a listening ear. What is the father saying to you? Is he asking you to speak to a neighbor or plant a group or start a ministry? You know, it's not just about the big things that, you know, we've got to do. It looks like, oh, God's not going to ask me to move house and, and lead a different church or a different ministry. But All of us are in an adventure with God. And so I encourage you all to listen. What is God asking me to do that means I've got to, you know, put my trust in him and step out in faith and and do that. And there is something for all of you today. So please don't just accept the norm and just live life. It's just too boring to do that. You know, live how Jesus asked us to live, you know, sacrificing everything, giving everything to him and living bold and courageous lives. So I just want to encourage you. It's not easy, but if you do it with God, then it's possible. So... Anyway. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Isn't she great? She said, I don't like preaching. I think she'll come back, don't you? <laughs> when you're in these seasons, everything comes back into focus, back into, uh, it sharpens you, it reminds you what's important. And uh, we went to, uh, we were at the National Leaders Conference uh, the Vineyard Conference at the start of the year, and we thought we'd, because um, we're in this time of transition, we thought we'd go to the prophetic workshop. You can go along, and these lovely dear people will have words for you. You have half an hour, exactly. And you sit down at the table with some flowers in front of you, and you wait, and, they, and someone will come along and sit in front of you and have a word for you. So we thought, God, you need to speak to us. We're in this, we're in this sort of transition. And uh, we went and sat down. This lovely old gentleman came and sat in front of us. He said, I'll see you in a canoe, and you're going over a waterfall. <laughs> we were like... He said, you're going down, 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 down. And you hit the water and you go under. He says, but you do bob up again. And that's good, isn't it? And he walked off. And that was the word. (laughs) So we're like, thanks, Lord. (laughs) 
you know, sometimes it feels like, doesn't it? It feels like that when we're in the Christian walk. It feels like we're going over waterfalls, we're free-falling, you know. Are we going to survive the impact? Are we going to bob up again? It comes to us in all sorts of different ways, in small ways, in large ways. But in that process, it sharpens you. It reminds you actually what this life is really about. And we decided a long time ago that we wanted to finish well. We wanted to be running as hard after Jesus when we got into our 70s and 80s as we were when we were in our, our teens and our 20s. We, we wanted to keep hard after Jesus. We wanted to keep our stories fresh. It's hard, isn't it, when you realize all your stories are like six months old or 12 months old or 18 months old and you're harking back to the, the good old days or the good old times. And, and we decided that we wanted to keep our stories fresh. We wanted to keep following hard after Jesus. So I want to encourage you to do the same. I want to encourage you that Jesus is speaking to you today and he's encouraging you to follow hard after him and he's trying to draw you closer to him. And as we prayed last night with the leaders, I just felt the church say this church was good soil. It's good soil. And uh, God wants to come and he wants to press something into your hearts today that's going to bear fruit. So be ready to receive that from him. He wants to plant stuff into you that's going to multiply. And that's going to multiply beyond your ability to, to understand, really. So you are good soil. So recognize that today. And God wants to come and put that seed of his kingdom into you that grows up and multiplies beyond our ability to, to imagine. Um, we were back here in September, and it was a great time. God was doing a lot of stuff with you, and continues to do so. It's great to see how you're growing and changing and what God's doing with you here. It's fantastic to see the vibrancy uh, in the church. I understand you've just completed a, a series on identity and calling and authority, yeah? Say yes, because I will encourage your leaders. <laughs> I won't ask you to tell me something you've learned, because you'll be going... Hmm. Um, I want to continue to sort of bookend that today by talking about identity. Just finishing off with the whole thing about identity. Because I think identity is everything. Identity is, is, is where everything flows from in our life. We've learned over the years we've been ministering that it doesn't really matter what you put on or what you hear or what you try and adapt or you try and learn. If it doesn't hit you in the place of identity, it doesn't really translate into how you live your life. Because you always default back to who you think you are. That will always determine the way you live your life. If you think you're a great singer... You'll be giving it some in worship, won't you? You'll be really giving it to some. The person next to you will be have to judge whether or not you actually are a great singer. But if you believe you are a great singer, you'll be singing loud and singing confidently. Uh, we're full of reality shows, aren't we, at the moment on TV about people who think they can sing really well. At some point, someone told them they had a voice of an angel, and they never think they have, even if they can sing badly. Now, if you're a great singer, but someone told you early in life that you couldn't sing, and you took that into your identity, and it's probably imprisoned you, and you probably don't sing in worship, or you probably keep your mouth closed, or you probably sing very quietly, because your identity always affects what you do. You live out of that place of who you think you are. It's like your identity's got gravity. It always pulls you back. No matter what you think you're going to change, or how you think you're going to live, or what habit you think you're going to break, you'll always come back to the gravity of your identity. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about a woman whose identity determined exactly how she lived. And it's a woman who we find in John 4. And this woman was a Samaritan woman. And her identity determined the way she lived her life. In fact, it determined the, the fact that she had to go out to a community well in the heat of the midday sun because of her brokenness of her identity. It, it forced her to do a certain thing. It bent her out of shape. She'd go to the well at the hottest part of the day because she didn't want to meet anybody else. She didn't want to encounter anybody else because of the shame and the brokenness that she carried. And I think we all carry 
a certain degree of brokenness. And it bends us out of shape. It, it, it forces us to do certain things. It twists us to live certain ways. It makes us react in ways we don't want to react. But this woman went out to the well expecting to be alone, but she had a powerful encounter that day. She met a person, and that person was Jesus Christ. So the stage is set in this story for a powerful, life-changing identity encounter. And I want to look at this text, then we're going to draw some stuff out of it, and then we're going to have time to pray. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John 4. We're going to read from verse 4. Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So I won't get thirsty. I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but Jews claimed the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and has now come, and true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and the worshippers, sorry, his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So this incredible encounter takes place at the well at noon. So Jesus is sitting there when the woman arrives. She's expecting to be alone. Have you noticed how often this happens in your life? The last place you expect to find Jesus, suddenly he's there. And often you want to be alone. No, you want to retreat you want to be away, something is causing you pain, you put yourself in a situation where you think actually God won't be here, but then suddenly God is here. And even when we choose to sin, we do things that are contrary to what God would want the best for us, God can be right there with us as well. We don't expect to find him there, but he's there. We have an encounter right there. He's waiting there to meet us. Almost like he orchestrates that convergence of where our path is taken and where he's going to be. And so this woman meets Jesus at the last place she expects to meet anybody. She meets him at the heat of noon by the community well. Jesus has a habit of showing up in the most inconvenient places of your life. 
And that's often where the powerful transformation encounters take place because at that place, we recognize more than ever our need of him. Sometimes the encounter isn't here. It's in the most unusual places where you're going to find him. He's going to be waiting for you. So the woman goes out to the well. The well reminds her of her situation. It reminds her the reason she goes there at noon is so she doesn't have to meet anybody else. She wants to go out and just draw water and not have to encounter people because of the shame and brokenness that she carries. She's had a troubled past. But Jesus is there. And it's inconvenient and it's embarrassing because she meets somebody and doesn't want to meet them. And she meets them at the wrong place at the wrong time. Wimber told a story years ago. He went into, um, he went into a newsagent uh, in the States. And uh, his eyes, it was in the olden days, okay? So on the top row were the naughty magazines, okay? And uh, he was drawn to one of the magazines. And he sort of, sort of captivated by the image on it. And he found himself sort of locked in. And suddenly, this voice behind him said, aren't you John Wimber? And in horror, he turned around, and there was a young couple there. And they said, are you John? We've just moved into town, and we've heard all about you and your church. We'd love to come. And he was like, you can imagine the color rising in his face. He'd been pinned at that point. And uh, the guy said, my wife's, my wife's not very well. Uh, you know, could you pray for her? Because we heard you've got a healing ministry, and she's sick, and uh, we'd love you to pray for her. So John, John thinks, how on earth? Can I pray for her from this position? You know, I've been, I've been caught, trapped in my sin. Anyway, he mumbles, he mumbles a prayer for this lady, and she's healed. And they go off, and great, fantastic, we'll see you in church, John, this is amazing, God's great, God's good. And, off, and he's broken. He's broken. He said, God, how could you possibly use me after that? And God said, well, there wasn't anybody else. <laughs> now, God will often show up at the point where we think we're most broken, He'll be there to meet us and encounter. So Jesus is there. He meets the woman. He's tired. He's hot. He's thirsty. He gives us an acute reminder of Jesus' humanity. He was a man just like us. He, he had needs. He was there. He needed a drink. He needs water. And he asked the woman to give him a drink. And this simple question opens up this whole discourse, which breaks in to the woman's identity. With this simple question, he begins to invade the woman's heart. Jesus is always trying to invade our hearts. He's always trying to gently push in more and more and more. He's always trying to gently invade your heart. All the time, every day, he's seeking to take a little bit more ground, to gently reveal more of himself in your life. So what he's saying to this woman really is, will you serve me? Will you serve me? And so as we serve Jesus, as we respond to this question, that really God begins to get inside who we really are. Through serving him, through being asked to partner with the living God of the universe, God begins to invade our hearts. We see in the life of Simon Peter, don't we, a man who was fully committed to serving Jesus. He was, he was going for it. He was gung-ho. He was a man who had it all. In reality, he had very little. He was flaky. He was unreliable. He overpromised and underdelivered. Jesus knew all of that. He knew all of that, but he said, on this rock, I will build my church. He knew how flaky Peter was. But we see in the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Mark, just how... Is that better? Great. We see in the Gospel of Mark just how Peter is transformed by his encounter with Christ and his walk with Christ. Jesus knew just how little he had to offer. But he said, on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus said, will you serve me? 
And as you walk with me, I will transform you. I know all your shortcomings. I know all your failings. I know how you feel you don't measure up. I know you're going to overpromise and underdeliver. I know you're going to say one thing here and do another thing over here. I know all the inconsistencies, but I still want you to serve me and walk with me and partner with me. So as we serve God, it reveals our unworthiness. We wrestle with that, don't we? How can God possibly use us? How can I serve God? Why will he use me? How could he use me? I'm so inconsistent. In 2011, a lady called Dr. Brené Brown, she was a research professor at the University of Houston, and she gave a talk at a place called TED. Anybody watch TED Talks? And uh, it talked about the necessity of vulnerability for wholehearted living. It wasn't a Christian talk, but she touched upon a spiritual principle as she began to share with her research. But after giving that talk, she woke up the next day absolutely gripped with fear. She'd shared vulnerably with 500 people and she was distraught. She thought her life was over. Let's watch this short video clip and she explains why. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my TEDx Houston talk. I woke up the morning after I gave that talk with the worst vulnerability hangover of my life. And I actually didn't leave my house for about three days. The first time I left was to meet a friend for lunch. And when I walked in, she was already at the table, and I sat down and she said, God, you look like hell. I said, thanks. Um, I feel really, I, I'm, I'm not functioning. And she said, what's going on? And I said, I just told 500 people that I became a researcher to avoid vulnerability and that when being vulnerable emerged from my data as absolutely essential to wholehearted living, I told these 500 people that I had a breakdown. I had a slide that said breakdown. At what point did I think that was a good idea? <laughs> and she said, I saw your talk live streamed. It was, it was not really you. Um, it was a little different than what you usually do, but it was great. And I said, this can't happen. YouTube, they're putting this thing on YouTube, and we're going to be talking about 600, 700 people. And she said, well, I think, you know, it's too late. And I said, let me ask you something. And she said, yeah. And I said, do you remember when we were in college and really wild and kind of dumb? She said, yeah. And I said, remember when we leave a really bad message on our ex-boyfriend's answering machine? <laughs> then we'd have to break into his dorm room and then erase the tape. <laughs> and she goes, uh, no. So, of course, the only thing I could think of to say at that point was, yeah, me neither. Uh, that, 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 yeah, I don't, yeah, me neither. And I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, Brene, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why did you bring this up? Have you lost your mind? Your sisters would be perfect for this. So I look back up and she said, are you really going to try to break in and steal the video before they put it on YouTube? And I said, I'm just thinking about it a little bit. <laughs> she said, 
You're like the worst vulnerability role model ever. <laughs> and then I looked at her and I said something that at the time felt a little dramatic, but ended up being more prophetic than dramatic. I said, "If 500 turns into a thousand or two thousand, my life is over." I had no contingency plan for four million. Um, <laughs> and my life did end when that happened. And maybe the hardest part about my life ending is that I learned something hard about myself, and that was that as much as I would be frustrated about not being able to get my work out to the world, there was a part of me that was working very hard to engineer staying small. Staying right under the radar, but I want to talk about what I've learned. There's two things that I've learned in the last year.、Um, the first is vulnerability is not weakness, and that myth is profoundly dangerous. Let me ask you honestly, and I'll give you this this warning. I'm trained as a therapist, so I can outweigh you. Uncomfortably,、um, so if you could just raise your hand, that would be awesome.、Um, how many of you, honestly, when you're thinking about doing something vulnerable or saying something vulnerable, think, "God, vulnerability is weakness. This is weakness." How many of you think of vulnerability and weakness synonymously? The majority of people. Now, let me ask you this question: This past week at TED, how many of you, when you saw vulnerability up here, thought it was pure courage? Vulnerability is not weakness. I define vulnerability as emotional risk, exposure, uncertainty. It fuels our daily lives, and I have come to the belief: this is my twelfth year doing this research, that vulnerability is our most accurate measurement of courage. To be vulnerable, to let ourselves be seen, to be honest. One of the weird things that's happened is after the TED explosion,、um, I got a lot of offers to speak all over the country.、Um, everyone from great speaker. I recommend both those talks to you, Dr. Brené Brown. It's interesting. She later describes her her research and what happened to her as a spiritual awakening, and she touched upon a spiritual principle there that vulnerability is the key to living a whole life, to living a, a fulfilled life. But really, ultimately, it's vulnerability to Christ. How prepared are we to surrender our lives fully to Him? How prepared are we allowed Him to allow Him to gently invade every part of our life? That talk and the previous talk have gone on to be the most, some of the most watched talks ever given on TED.、Um, and you can see the power of them, can't you? The power of vulnerability. She goes on to say, Barry Brown says that shame. Drives, sorry, sorry, shame drives two big tapes. Two big voices come from shame, from from hiding ourselves away. Never good enough, and who do you think you are? Never good enough, and who do you think you are? So when Jesus invites us to follow Him, one of the whispers that go off in our hearts is, "I'm not going to be good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm not going to measure up to the Christ standard. I'm not going to be able to deliver what's asked of me." And I believe the devil comes, follows that on with the accusation: Who do you think you are? You know, who do you think you are, really? You know, I've seen you. 
I've seen you when you're not in church. I've seen the things you get up to when no one else sees. Who do you think you are? How can you possibly perceive that you're, you know, holy enough, righteous enough? Why would God want to pick you? Why would God want to use you? Why would God even want to love you? Who do you think you are? It reminds me of uh, in Matthew 20, the blind man sitting by the side of the road when Jesus is entering. So he's leaving Jericho and they shout, don't they? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd says, shut up, shut up. And that voice would say to you, shut up. Who do you think you are? Keep down, be quiet. God's passing by. You know, you've got no right. You've got no right to basically ask him, serve him, be with him. But in the story, they show even louder. The woman's incredulous. She says, I'm a Jew. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can I possibly serve you? How can I possibly do something for you? You don't even know me. I, I, you can't even associate with me. You don't even know just how bad I am. I've got this, this checkered past, this history. I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. I don't in any way measure up to being able to serve you. Jesus knows all of us intimately, doesn't he? He knows our brokenness. He knows every part of us, yet he still calls us to serve him. And he says to her, if you knew the gift of God, and who is asking you for a drink, I would have given you something special. I would have given you living water. The woman pushes back at Jesus. Sir, you've got nothing to draw with. And this, this well has been built by somebody great. Jacob, our father, built this well. You know, are you really up to the task? Can you really do something for me? Can you really? And we'll all, all push back at God at some point. We'll all push back around and say, God, can you really come through? Can you really deliver what you're offering? Can you really do that? This is the real world, God. Can you really come through for me? Can you really offer what you're what you're offering. And it's easier sometimes to hide in our brokenness and our hopelessness rather than risk that God could come through for us. But Jesus isn't like other people, is he? He offers a different solution. He offers a different solution to our need. He says, if you drink this water, you'll never be thirsty again. We all use temporary solutions to try and patch our life up, don't we? The Bible describes them as broken systems in Jeremiah. We go and drink from these places and try and slake our thirst, but they only end up making us more thirsty. But Jesus said, I can give you something that's going to deal with that once and for all. I can give you something that's going to transform your identity at the core of who you are. I'll give you a permanent fix that will change you. And he makes this bold statement to us, doesn't he? If you'll come and be vulnerable and take my extended hand, I will give you something that will permanently fix you. So there's this tipping point in our lives. Are we prepared to risk more with God? Are we prepared to risk being more vulnerable to take more of him into our lives? Or do we, would we rather stay in our brokenness? The woman in the story takes the risk. She risks the new story. She says, sir, give me this water so I won't have to come here every day to collect water from the well. It's vulnerable for her. It's risky. Her life has been a series probably of despair and desperation, things that haven't quite delivered and worked out as they should have been. She's only the sixth man in her life. We don't know the history of that, but lots of pain must have gone before. But here she's again. Do I risk again? Do I risk again being vulnerable in front of this man and taking what he has to offer? But Jesus isn't finished here. It's interesting, this part of the story. He looks deeper into her heart and into her motives. The woman at the well wants her thirst to be quenched, but what she really wants is not to have to keep coming back to the well. Because the well reminds her of her shame. Every time she comes to the well, she might meet some of the townsfolk. And when she meets the townsfolk, they might whisper about her. They might say things about her. It will remind her of her broken identity. 
If she has this water, she can just hide away at home. She'll never need to come back to the well again. Jesus sees that. He doesn't want to offer partial solutions to our brokenness. So he goes for the jugular. Go, get your husband and come back. Targets the very thing that she wants to keep hidden the most. Guess what? He does the same in our lives. He goes after the very thing that we love to keep hidden the most. We're good at it. Church is a great place to practice. We practice hiding the things away, don't we? The things that we don't really want others to see and we don't want God to see. But Jesus goes for that. He says, go get your husband. I'm, I'm going to make it a bit hard for you now, he says. And it's a bit like we've got a, we've got a wound or, or we've got a, a boil and Jesus just gently comes and presses it. He says, it hurts there, doesn't it? It hurts there. And he doesn't do that to be mean. He says, I want to heal that. You feel that pain? I want to heal that. The woman squirms. I have no husband. She's fudging her response. We do the same, don't we? We do the half-truth thing. We, we do the sort of slightly, let's keep moving it away from us and push it onto somebody else. But Jesus doesn't give up. He says, you're right. You haven't got a husband. The fact is, you've had five. And the man you're currently with isn't your husband. What you said is absolutely true. Jesus brings her fully into the spotlight of his love. He drags her right into the glare of his love and his grace. He illuminates every part of her life. Every crevice is now illuminated. He does this because he wants to deal with her brokenness at the deepest level. You see, if we don't recognize our need of him, we can't give him permission to come in and begin to do work in our lives. So rather than pushing away from the Samaritan, the Samaritan lady's wound, he pushes into it. He says, this is your greatest need. At the point of your identity is where I want to transform you. Dr. Brené Brown in her talk says, shame needs three things to grow. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. All three forces are at play in this Samaritan woman's life. But Jesus puts his finger on it, says, this is where I want to bring transformation. Now, when this happens, we've got a choice, haven't we? When Jesus comes right up close and personal, we've got a choice. We can just get embarrassed and slink away. Some of you now might be feeling God speak to you. You'll have a choice at the end of my talk. What do you do with that? Do I just make an excuse and run for the door? Do I get angry with God? Say, how dare you? How dare you push in more into my life? You start to get angry and push him away. Or do you push into that vulnerability? Say, Lord, actually, I want to meet you in that place. I want more of you in my life. The woman does the latter. She says, I, I know the Messiah's coming, the Christ. And what she's thinking is, perhaps this is you. Perhaps there's a new opportunity here for me to really find healing for my brokenness. And Jesus says, I'm he. And this incredible transformation takes place in the life of this woman. The woman who'd lived this life in shame, imprisoned by who she was and what happened, marginalized in the public square, being forced to go out to the, the well in the heat of the noonday, she finds healing. She finds living water and it transforms her. It says in verse 28, she leaves her water jar. She goes back to the town and she says to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. The power of vulnerability. Could this be the Messiah? They come out from the town, they make their way towards him. It says many believe because of the woman's testimony. She's a new creation. She's transformed at the root of her identity. She's no longer imprisoned 
the last person you'd expect becomes the first Christian evangelist in history because of the power of transformed identity. The water jar, the symbol of her past, is left behind because of her excitement to push into the future. That symbol of her brokenness and her shame is discarded and she runs overjoyed and confident in her new identity. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. God knows everything about you. Jesus knows everything about you. He wants to transform you at the core of your identity. This woman came for drinking water and she left with living water. The question I want to put to you today, guys, is what did you come to church for today? What did you come to get? What did you come to receive? Because living water is an offer today for you. And yes, you can get drinking water, you can even get coffee. <laughs> but that's not going to transform you at the depth of your identity. It might be your first time in church, you might have been coming for years. But the extended hand of Jesus is the same to you today. Do you want what I have to offer? Do you want the living water? Do you want more of me invading your life? Do you want to risk being vulnerable again with me so I can push deeper into you and transform your identity? What's the water jar that you want to leave behind today? What's the thing that you would like to leave behind in this church today and walk out into a different identity? Let's stand together. We're going to pray. The Lord's resting on many of you. I can see that as we speak. Come, Jesus. You're already here. You're gently invading our hearts again this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. Trust you in all things. You're the only one who can deliver. The one who has the power and the authority and the ability, Lord, to bring transformation to us at the deepest level. So just think about what do you want to leave behind today? What is that water jar in your life? I'm going to leave here. So Jesus is going to occupy more of your identity. It is a risk. It is a risk to be more vulnerable. You have to fight those two accusations. You know, who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. God's not interested in you. We have to break that shame, that silence, that judgment. And we trust and we risk. And we come into the light of God's love again this morning. Come, Spirit. I want to encourage you, if you've got something you want to leave behind today, I want to encourage you to just come into the space at the front. Not because it's special, but because making that choice, that action, I think sends a signal to God. So if that's you, why don't you just step into this, into this space at the front here today. Come, Spirit. Increase your presence. We welcome you. We welcome you. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Increase your presence. Just fill them up with some words as well. The people might be... Uh, 
So if you've got a word of encouragement this morning or you feel it links in with this topic, then uh, just come and share that. You might have a specific word for a group of people or a person here today. Increase your presence. Come, Spirit. Come, Spirit. So if you feel released to minister this morning and you're part of the church, I want you to come forward. Sometimes just as pairing, just being able to listen to what someone wants to do. So you might just be able to come alongside someone today and just hear symbolically what that water jar is, what they want to, um, what they want to leave behind. So if you're released to minister, why don't you come forward and just pray with the person? There's plenty of you out there. So I don't want to see anybody spectating today. Come and get involved in what God's doing here this morning. Yeah, guys, if you want to come forward a bit, little bit more, make a bit more space, that'd be fantastic. Come, Jesus. Yeah, I felt the Lord, felt the Lord saying in worship this morning. We were singing, you know, His love is deep, His love is wild. It's waking hearts to life. And some of you were saying, I don't, I don't know if I want that because then it hurts. Then I can actually feel things. Um, And just as Simon was sharing that the Lord's only putting his finger on things to heal you, to make you aware that that part of you needs to be woken up. That part of you needs to be restored. Yes, Lord. So just press into the Lord and and just surrender to what he's doing in you. Yes, Jesus. It's okay to feel. We need some more folks to help down here. Costing a lot of stuff, so particularly if some ladies could come down. Actually, some guys as well. That'd be great. Thank you.